You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Today's episode is sponsored by JLS Automation. Hi, I'm Julie Larson Brisher, Science and Technology Editor for Meeting Place Magazine. Welcome to Episode 62 of Meeting Pod, where we're talking leveraging technology and automation in meat processing with Andrew Demarcus, Vice President of Operations at Old Neighborhood Foods. Headquartered in Lynn, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, Old Neighborhood Foods is a four-generation, family-owned and operated manufacturer of quality meat and deli products. The company got its start in 1914 when Andrew's great-grandmother exclaimed that she could make better Greek sausages than the ones her grocer husband brought home from the big city. And then she proceeded to do just that. Owner Tom and sons Elias, Tim, and Andrew, third and fourth generations respectively, are continuing the family legacy manufacturing low-process, better-for-you sausages, franks, wursts, deli, and marinated meats, which today are distributed nationwide to food service customers, natural food grocers, and major food retailers such as Kroger, Walmart, and Target. Neighborhood Foods, which has more than $250 million in annual sales and 500 employees, has achieved its success by producing minimally processed meats, including options that are low in salt, certified organic, and without artificial ingredients or preservatives, and by investing in state-of-the-art processing, pasteurization, and packaging equipment. In 2014, the company purchased an old seafood plant in Danvers, Massachusetts, and made a $3.5 million bet on the future, incorporating a high-pressure processing unit to pasteurize and extend the shelf life of its preservative-free meat products. And I'm looking forward to talking more about that technology with Andrew in today's episode. Welcome to Meeting Pod, Andrew. I'm delighted to have you as a guest on the podcast today. Hey, Julie. Thank you for having me today. All right. Well, you know, let's dive right in. I would love to get a little more background about how the company got its start and in general, what kind of brands and the types of products that you guys are producing. So as you alluded to in the introduction there, my great-grandmother, they owned a convenience store. They were Greek immigrants. They had always been eating a a Greek sausage called Lakonico. And when they brought some home one day, my grandmother said, oh, you know, I know how to make something like this, but much better. And so what they did was they developed her specific recipe and she made it and her kids would go out into the city. Boston's probably only about 10 miles away from Lynn and they would get orders, bring them back and their mother would make the sausages and then they would either go back that later that day or the next day and deliver the finished product. And then over time, piecemeal, the business itself grew. They got into hot dogs, sausages, not worse, olive loaf, things like that, things that really people don't eat a lot today of. But they kind of piecemealed it out and built the company. But really, when my father got out of Vietnam and he came back to Lynn and he inherited a company with you know, antiquated equipment, marginal products, products that weren't new, you know, things were starting to develop with roast beef, turkeys, chickens, hams, and things of that nature. So just through my father's 
you know, used the current infrastructure that he had and then just gradually upgraded everything. He was able to develop product lines that were more cutting edge and more customer friendly, I would say. We have three different brands. Old Neighborhood Foods is one of those brands. Thin and Trim is another brand and then Waterhill Naturals. But really, we don't have, I, I would be willing to bet many people, unless they're more regionally located next to Massachusetts, probably don't know of our brands. We do a lot of private labeling throughout the country. So if you go into an Aldi or Kroger and you pick up um, pre-sliced organic turkey, ham, chicken, roast beef, we manufacture all of those for all these, all of the Kroger's just right here in Lynn, Massachusetts. And really what my father did was he, he was one of the first people to realize that salt was one of the key ingredients that manufacturers used to cheat a little bit. And so what I mean by cheating is, is the more salt that you put into a product like turkey breast, chicken, roast beef, the more it compromises the texture of that product, but it picks up yield. So the more salt you put in it, the more water that product would ultimately retain. And so being Greek, I don't know, we, we like to think we know a thing or two about food and the texture of food and having it as authentic uh, as a homemade turkey, ham, chicken, etc. So really my father stumbled upon realizing that, hey, you know, you don't need all this salt. It cheapens the product. And so through that, that's how our thin and trim line was born. And people think thin and trim, oh, it tastes, it's better for you. It must not taste very good. It's really the complete opposite. Just because it's so much lower in sodium, you're really just getting such a better actual meat taste and flavor and all you're allowing the other ingredients to really shine through there. So before people really, this was in, uh, you know, early 1990s before people were focusing on eating healthier and things like that. We were one of the first companies to have a legitimate better for you product. And so we compete, our thin and trim line competes against the Boar's Head, the Deets and Watsons of the world. If you go into a market basket, which is a very big, not in number of stores, but very popular in, in the New England area, there's only about a hundred stores, but they, they dominate the competition, like the Stop and Shops, the Shaw's, Walmart's, they can't compete with market basket because they believe in a, in a volume model where they're just churning out product at a lower cost. And so it's, it hasn't helped these other big, massive companies overtake them. They still are pretty much, they possess a lot of the market share here in those stores. We are their Boar's Head. We are their Dietz and Watson. We are their Thumans, whatever premium brand you want to compare yourself to, but we're also significantly cheaper as well. So we're a better quality product. We're less expensive. We're better for you. And so those, you know, three combinations really helped us grow into the antibiotic free and into the organic world because we really knew how to manufacture at that point and how to really understand how to make a good quality product. Because back in the day, these big retailers, they didn't really care about their private label too much. And really probably around the beginning parts of the 2000s to maybe 2010, these retailers are saying, hey, that's our name. We want to have a good quality product. So we've been able to pick up a lot of private label business through the pandemic as well. We've been able to continue to work and manufacture. And I think a lot of people have looked to us to say, wow, you know, this isn't a you know, multi, multi-billion dollar corporation, but this is a nice company that fills our orders and makes a great quality product and keeps the costs very competitive for our customers. So I think we've caught the eyes of a lot of big retailers over the past seven or eight years. And, you know, we've been very fortunate. The company's grown quite well over the 
over the past decade. Has old neighborhood foods invested in technology and automation to help it manage that growth? And how do you determine where to invest your money and resources when it comes to automating or using some sort of advanced technology for production and packaging? We bought a facility in Danvers that was an old you know, fish facility, but we put about $50 million into that facility. So it's about 200,000 square feet. So for us, that's, that's a pretty big facility. And we renovated it. We gutted the place. So now it's pretty much 100% brand new as well. We made that investment into HPP, like you had mentioned earlier. And HPP is high pressure processing. And what it does is it's all naturally extends shelf life. So for organic deli meats, again, there's very little ingredients that are in there because it's organic and very little salt because we we want to have a great tasting product. So if I were to manufacture those and slice them and not HPP it, my shelf life would probably be between 40 and 50 days. That's not sustainable. I can't sell that to major retailers. I need more shelf life. So what we did was we invested, we bought about, it's like $2.5 million piece of machinery from Hyperbaric in Spain that kind of helped us. So now when you HPP these products that you were maybe getting 50 days before, you can put easy 120 days on those products. So that enables us to build inventories, to ship all over the country and to put it in their outside warehouses and have them pull because the kiss of death in retail is if they're shrinking your product. If you sell something wherever you're located, a Kroger or whoever, and they're throwing away your product, then that's going to be the beginning of the end for you. So having that increased shelf life and investing in those technologies has really taken us from a regional player to a national player. It's been critical for us. It's not as simple as, oh, we just buy this piece of machinery and we set it up and it just runs. You know, there are different levels. Uh, there's dwell time. when And really what HPP is, is that you put these products, this finished product. So, so let's just use sliced turkey as an example. So we manufacture the turkey logs, you cook it, you chill it, and then we send it to be sliced. So it has to set up for a couple of days. Then we slice the product. It's packaged. We put the dates on it. And then that's when we put them into these capsules to be HPP'd. And all that is is submerging it in water and it's hitting it equally at every angle. Really, it's scrambling the DNA of the bacteria and destroying it, which gives it that extra shelf life. And then it's so it's really just done in water and hits it under such immense PSI pressure. That's what helps extend that shelf life as well. And then we box it off of line. So that's kind of what that process looks like. Again, there's many different levels you have to, you can have certain amounts of dwell time, dwell times when it's, you know, submerged in the water, how long you want to hit it for and certain levels of PSI, 40,000 PSI, 50,000 PSI, 60,000, because those, if you hit it with such pressure, sometimes that can alter the texture of the product. That's obviously something you don't want to happen. You want it, people to know that it's, it's just a nice product than like anything else that whether I'm HPPing it or not, you want it to be pretty seamless. So that took a lot of time and research and trying to figure out you as well talked about marinated meats. That's a big thing in the Northeast for us. Marinated meats are like steak tips or marinated chicken breast that you can put on salads or go out to dinner and have meals. And a lot of people use it for tailgating and camping and you know you bring a little like a little grill and you, you grill out so it's very very popular in the northeast 
and in certain areas it's popular as well that's a raw product that's not a cooked product so that took us three years to develop to figure out hey how does this react with hpp what's the appropriate amount of time what's the appropriate amount of psi in order for us to maximize shelf life because again it's a raw product and we're talking raw chicken breast that you'll see in a supermarket what usually got like a week 10 days max we're putting 42 days on our raw chicken and we're putting 56 days on our steak that as well has enabled us to sell these outside of our distribution channels here down to the carolinas and wherever and certainly you know if an aldi or a kroger ever took something like that on forget it i mean there's such massive chains that you know we'd have to continue to build other facilities and you know we just actually bought another hpp machine so now we have two hpp machines in our danvers facility because we were getting so busy with with everything that we needed an adequate backup as well as more capacity. How do you determine when you're going to invest that kind of money? I mean, that's not just chump change, right? Originally, when we were talking about making a capital investment like that, it's something myself and my two brothers. So I'm the youngest of three boys. I'm 41. My brother Tim is 42. My brother Elias just turned 44. So we're really close in age. And then, you know, my father has built the company into what it is today. And he's, he's 79 and he's starting to take steps back. But back then when we were making this investment, we were talking about these newer technologies and saying, you know, geez, what are the pros? What are the cons? Is this going to work? How is this going to impact the meat? So what we did was there was a young lady down in Connecticut who had a small HPP operation. So what we did was we would load our trucks up each week and send some product down to be HBP'd and then we would bring it back and we would test it and make sure that that was something that made sense for us before we made that capital investment as well. Obviously you need a massive amount of space. These are big machines. They're like almost the size of trailer homes. So you need the money, you need the space and you need the infrastructure. They're heavy machines as well. You have to make sure they're built on solid footing. So we had those discussions. We said, Hey, you know, what are these? We didn't have any business in hand at all. So we were saying this is going to help us to grow and sell out of our distribution channels more nationally than we are regionally. So it was a, it was a pretty big gamble. And then we got the building in Danvers and we had to build it and have adequate space for where we needed to put that HPP machine. To your point, we're always trying to be as automated as humanly possible. Labor's not cheap in this part of the country with minimum wage at pretty much $15 an hour now. But we always do our best to try and automate and to make sure that we're at the, as much on the cutting edge of technology as we possibly can be. It worked out in regards to return on investment. I would say probably within two years, two and a half years, something along that. But we really didn't view it. It was more of the business that we were going to pick up and help us to grow as a company overall as we weren't really focusing on when are we going to get our money back. It was more, this is a path that we, and so at the time I must've been like, I don't know, 32 or three years old when we're making these decisions. So, you know, certainly a lot of time left for us to try and grow as a company. So it was, um, you know, it was a risky proposition, but we felt that it was the right decision for us as a company being, you know, morphing into a younger company. And certainly that, that has paid off 
significantly. And uh, the second HPV machine that we just bought for another $3 million, you know, we don't really have those discussions. What's our return on our investment? We just know we're busy. We need these products to be able to, we need this extra shelf life. And if we're going to be perceived as a national player instead of a regional player, we need to provide these to our ultimate customers. And now we'll take a short break for a message from today's episode sponsor, JLS Automation. Transform your business with Industry 4.0 and JLS Robotic Packaging Solutions. Designed to solve complex packaging challenges, these robotic systems integrate motion, logic, safety, and HMI into a single scalable platform. Both Talon Robotic Pick-and-Place Systems and Osprey Robotic Case Packers come Industry 4.0 ready. Ensure food-safe operations while maximizing output, all with a true partnership mindset, easy-to-use technology, and unrivaled aftermarket support. Learn about JLS products and services at www.jlsautomation.com. Now back to the podcast. Let's uh, talk a little bit about digital transformation. That whole Industry 4.0 is really about the collecting, wrangling, analyzing, optimizing data. And that data can be collected now from automated machines or technological systems, you know, that for a lot of benefits, whether it's eliminating some redundancies in the line, it's reducing costs. Do you have any tips about what a smaller operation can do to optimize the data that it collects to more fully leverage those kind of benefits? That's an interesting question. Tough to answer just because I know my world. Every other manufacturer, I'm sure, that listens to this says, yeah, well, that's great for you, but how's that going to work for me specifically? There is a ton of information available with these newer technologies and figuring out a way to not manipulate, but figure out how that can benefit you and your company and ultimately what you are trying to accomplish for us, you know, yields are very important, slicing yields and understanding there's tolerances, there's certain regulations within the industry where you certainly can't, if you say it's a 12 ounce package or a five ounce package, it can't be four and a half ounces. It's got to be over the five. So what the market is and how competitive our industry is, especially now in the midst of a pandemic, you have to try your best to stay as precise as humanly possible. Like you don't want to, if it's a five ounce package, you don't want to give them six ounces. You got to give them probably the 5.2, 5.3, and you have a tolerance level. So these slicing machines that we invested in and things of that nature, they are very specific where if it's over or under, they kick it out to you and you have to, you know, it's a lot more, more handling, but you're not having that giveaway, but that's significant monies. I mean, we pay now close to $6 a pound for raw organic turkey breast. These are, and not to mention that the transportation costs have doubled and tripled. Packaging costs have gone up over 50%. So, I mean, I know we're talking about inflation being 7 and 8%. That's not in my world. I used to buy boneless, skinless turkey breast for $1.65. I'm paying $4.50 for that right now. And I can't pass that along to my customers. Those are just, and I'm not a ver vertically integrated, meaning I don't raise the animals and slaughter the animals. I buy whole pieces. I'm buying from whoever, Jenny O or whoever. Those are the vertically integrated companies. So I'm at the mercy of the market here. So it is imperative to have as much in critical information as you can gather. But for me to speak specifically to a smaller operation, it would very much just depend 
on what they're manufacturing and what they're exactly doing for me to give them any type of useful information. I would say the closer you pay attention to your business and the more I'm always on the floor working with the people, trying to understand what these challenges are. We're getting into skewering this summer, which is, you know, like shish kebabs and things like that. There's a lot of laws of unintended consequences that go on with things that you haven't done. And so last week we ran a test on a thousand pounds of chicken. We're just going to give that away to the food banks. But I need to run those tests to try and understand what the hell is going to happen in these. And it was a great test because we screwed up 18 different times, 10 different ways. But it was a good learning experience for us because I don't want to get my first order and then screw that up and then ultimately potentially run the risk of failing to my customers. I have to go through my growing pains and the learning process on my own, which some people chalk it up as an R&D cost. And that's kind of what we do. Great tips and a good reminder. Well, what's next for Old Neighborhood and the Democus team? Any new products in the pipeline or you have some new tech you're interested in implementing? You sound like my father always pushing for, for more and more. You know, We've grown a lot these last few years and I think we've been very blessed to have uh, done that. But I think we've earned our our opportunities. It's been a team effort for sure. We're the luckiest company in the world. We have the best employees, great people. I've been blessed with great parents to raise me and my brothers. And hopefully my brothers and I can you know, continue to be successful together and continue to grow. Some of the newer products that we've talked about, definitely the marinated meats. We're getting into skewering. And again, those are all raw HPP products. That's going to be in like the Hannaford Stop and Shop. I think we got into two target DCs as tests. So we're going to see how that goes. Our number one selling product is shave steak. So if you go into a supermarket and you buy Old Neighborhood or Kroger, shave steak, it's 100% beef, nothing added to it. It's just beef sliced paper thin that you make Philly cheesesteaks out of. So we sell probably about 500,000 pounds of that a week. That's one of the fastest growing items in meat departments behind ground beef and ground turkey. A lot of these stores love this product. It's a great product. It's so easy. It's affordable. A mother or father can go out and buy that and make a couple sandwiches for them and their kids for under 10 bucks for the two of you to eat. It's a fantastic product. So we've done a lot of automating in regards to that in that particular production area. We've cut the amount of people that we've needed from 35 to about 18, 19. And that's just through using a machine that weighs everything individually as opposed to people weighing it off the line. So it's just become way more efficient, increased our output as well. So that's growing fast and it's in a lot of the major retailers throughout the country, whether it's under old neighborhood or whether that's under a private label. So we've had a ton of success with that and we hope obviously to continue on those successes. But it's at the end of the day, It's a very fickle business. It's a very challenging business. The meat market and this inflation is incredibly real and it's not 7-8%. It is not. It's much higher, at least in my world. You try your best to eat some of those costs, but at the end of the day, you can't lose money. You have a responsibility. We have almost 550 employees now. My responsibility is to them to make sure that I can pay them, they can provide for their families and you know they have a good quality of life, just like everybody deserves. So it's unfortunate. A lot of the things that are going on in the world right now, like my father always said, you just got to do the blocking and tackling, take care of yourself, 
keep your head on a swivel because things happen all the manufacturing happen all the time. You can't predict what's coming a lot of the time. Well, after talking with you today, I'm glad you, the Damacus family is doing what you're doing. I think I just got so hungry for some sort of lunch product with that. When you're talking about shaved beef like that, <laughs> it just sounds beautiful. Anyway, but I want, I want to thank you, Andrew, for taking the time to share your insights with us today on Meeting Pod. And listeners, you can find out more about Old Neighborhood Foods' extensive variety of deli meats, frankfurters and sausages, marinated meats, as well as the processors retail and food service private label programs at www.oldneighborhoodfoods.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.meaningplace.com to access our digital magazine and technical article archives and podcasts to get more smart manufacturing advice first published in our Industry 4.0 Connect newsletters. Thanks again, Andrew. It was really great speaking with you today. Thank you, Julie. Pleasure speaking with you. Appreciate your time. And thank you to our sponsor, JLS Automation. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.